Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Monday, June 1st, 2015. All right, for those of you who have been asking, we will be having a Pirate Christian Radio Conference at the end of July. I'll give you the dates today, and the the website's not up yet. We'll have it up soon, so that uh, if you want to attend, you can. I'll give you details here in a minute. Thank you for tuning in or listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down and stop and open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to actually like you know, put things back into context, use sound biblical hermeneutics, and exegesis in order to show you what Scripture really says so that you can see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-professed prophets and prophetesses to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says or if they're teaching false doctrine or teaching for shameful gain. Yeah, I think money motive here, uh, the things that they ought not to teach. And so over and again, we demonstrate here at Fighting for the Faith that uh, the more popular they are, the least, the less likely they are to actually be preaching the truth, and it's not a good thing. All right, now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, we will be holding a Pirate Christian Radio Conference this year, and it's going to be on July 29th and 30th in Aurora, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver, Colorado. And uh, we do not have the website up yet. Um, we will, we are working to get the artwork and everything finished, uh, at least for the page that we're putting up for um, uh, for the conference. It'll be held at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. That's where Pastor Brian Wolfmuller is uh, pastor. And uh, the speakers are as follows. I will be speaking. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller will be speaking. Uh, Jordan Cooper from the Justin Sinner podcast will be speaking, as well as Pastor Jeremy Rohde uh, from Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. Now, the overarching theme for our conference is going to be Coram Deo, Coram Mundo. And you're thinking, you're going with a Latin theme? Yeah, I, I, I understand that. But the idea here is, is that when we talk about active and passive righteousness, when we talk about law and gospel, sin, grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins, uh, we have to understand that uh, we have a right standing before God, Coram Mundo, by grace through faith alone, and that those who are truly justified, that they also 
uh, that, you know, that doesn't mean they sit on their keisters and just wait for Jesus to return. Uh, No, that uh, faith then is active in good works, and we can talk about what those good works are and how that plays out in the life of the Christian. And so Corum Deo Corum Mundo is the theme again The dates are Wednesday, July 29th, Thursday, July 30th in Aurora, Colorado. And uh, and so we're basically two months away uh, from our conference. And so we're giving a little bit more warning this year than we did last year. And uh, we don't have a limit as to how many people can attend. Um, you know, although, you know, I, I think we can comfortably take in, you know, between 150, 200, something like that. And so if you would like to be in attendance, keep the date right now. We will have the uh, registration up at the Pirate Christian Radio website, like I said, very soon. But I wanted to uh, yeah, at least make the announcement. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. It's going to seem like we're going to be all over the map. And in the sense, we are. Uh, But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to begin with a a new apostolic reformation update uh, from the so-called prophet uh, Chuck Pierce. And apparently it's a time to roll. Did you know? Prophetically, it's a a time to roll. So uh, this is not prophecy open mic because uh, he's not sharing the mic with other people, although he's got his prophecy backup singers uh, that uh, you'll be listening to uh, there. And that's (laughs) quite Interesting. Then we'll switch gears, and we're going to head down to Grace Street and uh, Jim Baker's uh, television program to uh, listen to him and Tom Horn. Uh, Jim Baker and Tom Horn wax eloquent regarding the dangers of the uh, CERN Hadron Collider. Yeah, this apparently it's the end of the world, folks. Yeah, and uh, and you need to be prepared and be buying you know food because you know they're smashing particles together in France. Yeah, I wish I was making that part up. And uh, so then we'll you know we'll take a look at that. Then we'll take a break somewhere in there. And when we come back, we're going to listen to um, a sermon, if you would. Uh, if you if your church follows the historic lectionary, if you follow if your church follows the historic lectionary, then you know that yesterday was Trinity Sunday. Yeah, that's right. An entire. Sunday dedicated to the preaching, teaching, and uh, you know, and basically explanation explanation of the doctrine of the Trinity, and uh, and so you know, I pastor a, a church, and we followed the historic lectionary, and last uh, yesterday we actually confessed the Athanasian Creed, and uh, and so you know, but uh, <clears throat> with that kind of in mind, um, uh, somebody had sent me the link uh, over the uh, the Easter season uh, during our worst Easter sermon of the year contest, and had said, you know, you got to check out Mayfield Salisbury Parish Church. Mayfield Salisbury uh, Parish Church. They're on the internet. They're on YouTube, and uh, they have the Reverend Scott S. McKenna, and this guy <laughs> sounds like. He went to the Rob Bell Seminary of Emergent uh, Postmodernity, and uh, he is a wow, uh, a a liberal's liberal, if you would. And so we're going to be listening to his sermon. It's not very long. It's more like a homily, if you would, uh, entitled Trinity or Mystery, Trinity or Mystery. And uh, since you've already got the idea that this guy is kind of an emergence emergent, a liberal's liberal, a postmodern's postmodern kind of guy. 
if you are thinking, well, they follow the historic lectionary, it's Trinity Sunday, so we should hear a good sermon about the doctrine of the Trinity. (laughs) If that's what you're thinking, (laughs) you're going to be disappointed. But if you're expecting heresy, oh, no, you won't be disappointed at all in a full-blown attack against the doctrine of the Trinity and a whole bunch of postmodern gobbledygook to boot. And then we'll take a break. In hour number two, I'm going to do something we have not done in a while, and that is is that we're going to review a full sermon by Keith Craft. And um, <laughs> the name of the sermon is How to Make Today the Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Have you ever wondered, how do you make today the day? Because, you know, everybody knows this is, you know, what the, the Bible is about. So we're going to listen to a, a Keith Craft. And uh, I'm seriously thinking about using our standard update music for that sermon review for uh, Keith Craft because it's some of my favorite music out there. Uh, Keith 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 Craft is the inventor of the mariachi trench. And if you have not heard that episode of Fighting for the Faith, go into our archives. Type in mariachi trench, and you'll know what I'm talking about. And uh, you'll 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 listen to that. But uh, so we're we're gonna be reviewing the sermon, how to make today the day. Yeah. So uh, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And uh, since we're going to be beginning with a new apostolic reformation update, well, that requires us to do this. Chief Lane, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. is Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. They're laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're pinky, they're pinky, and the brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled. By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're pinky and the brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain, the Twilight Campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. brain. All right, um, if you've listened to Fighting for the Faith for any length of time, then... You might want to brace yourselves because what you're going to hear, um, this isn't prophecy, but Chuck Pierce, one of the 12 living apostles on the earth, that's what he claims for himself, by the way, um, he's, uh, you know, he he gets direct revelation from God, the Holy Spirit. I mean, he channels the Holy Spirit, you know, the same way that um, Shirley McLean would channel uh, demonic spirits. But anyway, uh, here's Chuck Pierce. And his prophecy regarding a time to roll. Here we go. Some of you need to clear the path around you. Yeah. You need to say, I've got too much confusion coming against me. I won't listen to that. Some of you need to say, I'm going to set my face and go on in. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care what's going on or how strong the wind is. Coming through and coming in. Yeah, I always love it when, uh, you know, I hear words, lots and lots of words. There were sentences there and, um, you know, nouns and verbs and adjectives and 
You know, I mean, all the grammar, you know, the, all the great grammar was there, but <laughs> none of the sentences made any sense at all. The, uh, yeah, prophecy, no. Gibberish, oh yeah. But we continue. Your feet have to get momentum. Yeah. It's by momentum, the energy you're displacing against the enemy that he moves out of the way. Yeah, it's by momentum the energy that you're displacing against the energy moves out of the way. Mm-hmm. Would anyone like to explain to me what that sentence means? I Yeah, I have no clue. No clue whatsoever. Tell somebody, I know you've got more energy of Holy Spirit. Those mountains won't move without the energy of Holy Spirit. Some of you are either wanting somebody else to move it for you, or you're just saying, God, I'll just wait till it's gone. He says, you move it. You move it. Move what again? Decree what over what? Look at the enemy and say one of us is getting out of the way and it's not me. I'm coming through. And now for the prophecy backup singers. Total Mayhem has uh, broken out there at Glory of Zion. Is that guy playing a Vuvuzela? What is that? I'm coming through. I have no idea what he's talking about. But it is interesting to listen to. That's right. The Holy Spirit wants you to walk past any familiar structure that's holding you. Oh, yeah. The applications for this are just profound. (laughs) I wish you could see this video. I mean, I've seen parades that... um, Less colorful than this. It, it really looks like utter pandemonium is is just been unleashed there. That's right. If you can't go over it, you go through it. Yeah. Isn't there a camp song about that? You can't go over it, can't can't go under it, you gotta go Yeah, never mind. <laughs> this is just a cacophony of nonsense. And they think this is the Holy Spirit it's doing. Wow, yeah. Healing. 
what's going to produce what again? Now I speak to every worry that's been upon you and every anxiety, and I have the authority to speak this. Yeah, really. He claims he has the authority to speak this. You better listen up. He's got the authority to speak this. Uh-huh. Because God delivered me from it. I say you will let go of this people. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what you say. Now, we'll, we'll kind of pause right there and, uh, you know, leave the folks there at Glory of Zion as we uh, continue to move forward with the program. But uh, since we're doing kind of a doom and gloom end of the world update, that requires us to do this. It's the end of the world as we know it. You know those uh, the, those scientists in CERN. You know what they're doing, right? You know they're they're taking subatomic particles and then you know zipping them around this racetrack and then smashing them into each other. And well, you know it, it's going to cause the end of the world. That's literally you know we're doomed. I mean, but thankfully uh, Jim Baker and Tom Horn. <clears throat> You know, they're Johnny on the spot here, and they, they've been monitoring the situation very carefully and, and making sure to uh, keep us apprised of all of the eschatological dangers associated with the Hadron Collider. And, of course, selling, um, um, you know, one, two-year supply of food for, you know, one, two people at, you know, a thousand bucks a pop or even or more, you know, and as well as selling solar um generator so that you can save yourself from the end of the world caused by CERN. So here's uh, uh, Jim Baker and the folks over at Gray Street to explain to us oh, the eschatological dangers of smashing particles together. Here we go. It's something that is called CERN. It makes me very concerned. Mm-hmm. C-E-R-N. The uh, Hadron, I think it's pronounced, Hadron Collider. Okay. It's turned on two days from today, so when you watch the show, it's already on, unless they have a breakdown. <laughs> Do you want to tell the people what it is? I have pictures. There's one, there it is on the screen. Yeah. This is the biggest machine in the world. How many until today did not know about this? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Come on. That's a, almost 100%, 99% of this audience never heard of this. This is the biggest machine ever made in the world in history. I believe it's 17 miles long. It's in France and Switzerland. If you see a map, it's 
the, the map, it's a circle. It would be almost five miles across. And the reason they buried it under the ground is because they might have an oops. And, you know, back, uh, uh-huh. back yeah. when we were testing nuclear warheads, we'd take them deep down underneath the earth yes. because yeah. you wouldn't want to blow one of these up on the surface of the earth, right? Right. right. I'm curious how they got permission to dig that many miles under France and under Switzerland. And uh, th- this is what the, the headline, I, I don't know if it's, it's just this week, I think. This is the headline. Stephen Hawking, he called the God particle could destroy the universe. He keeps warning. He's supposed to be one of the most brilliant minds ever in history. And he keeps warning that this, he calls it God particles. Do you understand this at all? Well, the Higgs, I don't. The Higgs boson is traditionally called the God particle. And they part of what they want to do with the collider, it's not the only thing they're doing there, is they want to see if they can discover the Higgs boson or the God particle. Essentially, we Christians would say they're looking for how God holds everything together. That's why they call it the God particle. Well, I Some read where it's what you're made up of and what all matter, I guess, is Well, made well up that's, of. that's exactly right. It's what we're made up of. It's also what's holding us together. They're trying to find Jesus, but they don't want to find Jesus. So they're trying yeah. to find what, it, yeah. what is it that holds all matter together. That's one of the things they're looking for. Uh, the, the, what the, what CERN does, that big circle, it accelerates particles in that big circle around and around and around and around until they're traveling at just enormous velocity. Mm -hmm. And then they collide these particles together. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it creates a moment that they think is kind of how the big bang started the whole universe. That's Mm -hmm. the whole purpose behind it. However, they also believe that there are parallel realities around us, other dimensions, and there could be other intelligence there. Another thing we Christians already know, right? Why not just come and ask us? You don't need to build a collider. However, there's a reason God put them on the other side of that veil, and you might not want to open the door. Oh, oh, I see. So you take a a piece of matter. Yeah, um, and that's what a a subatomic particle is. It's a piece of matter in this time-space continuum. And apparently, if you smash these pieces together fast enough, you're going to open up the door and uh, and demons are going to pop out. Yeah, this is kind of mixing science and science fiction, if you know what I mean. And And here's the thing. Okay. Their own their own director of CERN has gave uh, uh, interviews to the British press in which he admits that's what they're trying to do. They want to open a door to another dimension. And uh-huh. he said when we open this door, he said something might come through it into our reality. Or he said we might send something through it into their reality. You can look that up. It's in the British press where the CERN was built. This is St. Genus Poeli. That's the name of the township. But in ancient days, guess what it was called? It was called Apollyakam. It was literally a temple to the god Apollo because they believe that's the gateway to the underworld. Uh-huh. There, went, I saw a goddess. I, and I was looking at all these pictures. Man. Yeah. Oh, man. We're, we're doomed, folks. Oh, you, you'd better you, uh, contact the Jim Baker Show and, and buy a two-year supply of... Uh, Freeze-dried food for you and your family. I mean, just, 
you're, you're not going to make it, you know, without that. And and you get you need to buy a solar power generator plane too. I mean, it, that, I mean that I mean that's all there is to it. If you if you have any hope of surviving at all, you need a solar power generator, and you need a two year supply of food for you and your family. All purchased from you know Jim Baker's program. That's her. Shiva. Actually, they built. Uh, the, the, they have the the god, the Hindu god of destruction that destroys at the molecular level is right out in front of the offices of CERN, and it's That's, dedicated it's to Shiva. All right, so they have a statue of the Hindu goddess Shiva, uh, of you know, which she represents uh, creation and destruction. Uh, right there at the CERN complex in Geneva. Oh, uh, yeah, that's it, folks. I we're, we're in trouble. This kind of reminds me of a movie I saw in the '80s. See if this uh, if this clip sounds familiar to you. Dropping off or picking up? Dropping off. Just a moment. You a Ghostbuster? Yes. We picked up this guy. Now we don't know what to do with him. Bellevue doesn't want him, and I'm afraid to put him in the lockup, and I know you guys are into this stuff, so I figured we'd check with you. All right. Are you the gatekeeper? You better bring him inside. You are so kind to take care of that man. You know, you are a real humanitarian. I don't think he's human. What did you say your name was? Vince Clortho, Keymaster of Gozer. According to this, his name's Lewis Tully. Lives on Central Park West. Do you want some uh, coffee, Mr. Tully? Do I? Yes, have some. Yes, have some. Vince, you said before you were waiting for a sign. What sign are you waiting for? Gozer the Traveler. He will come in one of the pre-chosen forms. During the rectification of the Valdrani, the Traveler came as a large and moving torb. Then, during the third reconciliation of the last of the McKetrick supplicants, they chose a new form for him, that of a giant slore. Many shubs and zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day, I can tell you. Yeah, that's uh, from the movie uh, Ghostbusters. And, and, and as I'm watching this video of uh, <clears throat> Tom Horn and uh, Jim Baker talking about the Hadron Collider... I can't help but think, you know, it kind of reminds me of the plot line there. I wonder if the Keymaster and Gozer the Gozerian are going to come popping out of the Hadron Collider, you know, as they, uh, you know, have a date with Shiva. But, see, the thing is, I don't recall in Scripture anywhere prophetically where we were warned that the end of the world would be brought on by, um, you know, a particle collider creating some kind of gateway by which d- the demonic s- realm and Shiva can come popping out. And, of course, I do find it very fascinating that um, that down below the video here and also on the crawl on the television there, uh, you can buy a six-month supply of food, a six-week supply of food, one year of food, two years of food, you know, gourmet meals and uh, all these things, you know, for, you know, for a ministry the gift to uh, Jim Baker, you know, they'll set you up. So when Gozer the Gozerian comes through the gate of, uh, you know, CERN there, uh, you'll be prepared. Uh-huh. I'm going to put on the screen. You'll show it. It's so Because I've seen it, and I said, this is a false god. What in the... I didn't... 
I couldn't find anything about it because I, I need to get some books and read a little right. bit more. And, and, but you go online and type in uh, the Hadron, or you can actually type in uh, CERN. CERN comes up with all of it as well. And all the pictures, it's the most beautiful. I mean, it's like Satan. It's the most beautiful thing. Yeah, it's, it's evil incarnate, that Hadron Collider thing. It's just like the devil. Uh-huh. Fear-mongering much there, Jim? I mean, for a guy, it's like the biggest Tinker Toys in the world. I mean, it's beyond the blues, the reds, the colors in this thing. And yet, it's, it's, there's a goddess at the offices at the, where they go to work there that build this thing. And you say, well, it's not important for us to know. It's time for the church to stop glorifying ignorance. You know, I agree, and that would mean stop watching your television program, Jim. I just, I wow. I mean, I find myself agreeing with Jim Baker. I mean, who would have thunk? But you get the idea. Again, uh, Jim Baker, he is the king of fear mongerers, uh, who's making a lot of money, a lot of money selling solar powered generators and years of your supplies of food for you and your family, so you can survive. The attack of Gozer the Gozerian, uh, whichever form uh, Gozer takes, um, I'm not sure. At, once the gate is open there in CERN, I mean, the Keymaster has told us this. You know what I'm saying? All right, we're up on our uh, first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to probably one of the worst Trinity Sunday sermons I've ever heard. We'll pass it along. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Deep in the Australian wilderness, alongside the typhoid-infested waters of the Bongo River, Captain Worthington and his ragtag group of men have found themselves to be hopelessly lost. Surrounded by the vicious savages of the Hamuku tribe, and now the TP has run out. It's been 27 days without food, and Private Jenkins doesn't go. Oh, do shut up, Nigel! We don't need you narrating every little thing that goes on. It's bad enough already. We don't need you reminding everyone about it. Sorry. 
Now, gentlemen, the hour is dire. There's not much hope of us getting out of this predicament with our lives or sanity. What are we going to do, Captain? Well, we can do one of two things. We can either die in a blaze of glory, charging the Hibuku tribe in battle, or sit on the riverbank saying to ourselves, Oh, Mommy, Mommy, please make the bad people go away. I vote for the second one. Shut the noise, you pansy! Now, Captain, I have an idea that might just save our hides from the impending doom on the other side of the tree line. Well, out with it, man. Out with it. I happen to have... In my possession, a copy of Zondervan's latest book, The Grimoire of Modern Prayer. Well, that's excellent news. We have TP again. Woo-hoo. No, no, no. We're not using it for that. Then what exactly are we using it for? Uh, it says this. With this volume, you can command and control the very will of God with relative ease. Oh. Are you sure we can do that? Well, the, the book says we can. Is there any proof? Well, Stephen Furtick did write the introduction where he explains how it's changed his life. Well, um, how does it work? Simple. We can choose from any one of these prayers. Captain Worthington, a book approaching. Blasted! Perkins, get your act together and start reading from the book. It's our only chance. I don't know which one to read first. Which ones do you have to choose from? Well, there's the Scenting Prayer, the Circle Maker Prayer, the Prayer of Jabez. The Circle one. Let's go with that one. Okay, the book says to draw a circle around what you're praying for. Well, that's us. Quick, men, draw a circle in the dirt around us. Step two, begin to pray for whatever it is that you're in need of. I really want a Ferrari. A Ferrari. You nitwit, we need protection. Now pray, audaciously. Oh, Lord, we are not going to leave this circle until you rescue us from our enemies. Amen. Thank God, Nigel! Are you sure? Pretty sure. Unless he can breathe without his head being attached to his neck. Oh, dear. Well, there goes our narrator. What are we going to do, sir? Well, the circle prayer didn't work, so let's try something else. Packins! Working on it, sir. I, I think I got it. <laughs> I, I don't believe it, sir. The Hubuku tribe didn't have catapults. Jumping Jehoshaphat. This next prayer had better work, Perkins. This one will work. It's the, uh, it's the Sun Sanso prayer. What good will that do? It's in the middle of the night! It doesn't matter what you think. This is sure to work. We just have to have audacious enough faith to ask God for the impossible. You heard the man. Get praying. I still want a Ferrari, a pet raptor, no jets, Ooh, and better sex. You're just not getting this, are you? Captain, they, 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 no, no, have, cannons! Well, this is impossible. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code 
for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could actually protect you against fear mongers who are trying to make a buck while eschatologically scaring you to death so that you'll buy their end-of-the-world products. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we're doing here without it. Let's check back in with um, Chuck Pierce and uh, and hear more of his mad ravings that he thinks are prophecies. Here we go. Breaking through. Not much focus on Jesus there, is there? Wow. Yeah, she's singing about herself, if you think about it. Hear the wind blowing. Oh, I hear lots of wind. Yeah, I <laughs> lots of hot air blowing here. Yeah, not the Holy Spirit, though. There's a new direction blowing in on your behalf. A new direction is blowing in. Mm-hmm. I didn't know directions could blow in. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sentence makes no sense. Whatever your worry is right now, that anxious feeling you have, speak it out right now and say, Lord, I'm rolling this up on you. Roll it up. Let's hear a rolling sound. Yeah, roll it up. Let's hear a rolling sound. Yeah. Roll it up. That's what the Word of God says. Roll it up. Yeah, the Word of God says to roll it up. What are you talking about? Yeah, 
yeah, pandemonium has uh, definitely uh, broken out and continues to be uh, quite a problem there at Glory of Zion. We're going to have to move along, though. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we can catch part of this uh, sermon uh, coming to us. But since what we're going to be doing pretty much is an emergent church type of update, uh, although, you know, I don't think this guy is officially part of the emergent church, well, that requires us to do this. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Doug Paget. Over there on the trumpets is uh, Tony Jones and Brian McLaren. Second fiddle is Rob Bell today. Yeah, this is their homage to uh, Strauss's also Sprock Zarathustra. Yeah. You'll know it as the theme for a 2001 Space Odyssey. Odyssey would be the important word here. Isn't postmodern music so much better than modernist music? Oh, it's just being guided by the spirit. It's so, so, uh, something. Yeah, I know you feel better after hearing that. Okay, so what we're going to be listening to is part of a sermon from the Reverend Scott S. McKenna of Mayfield Salisbury Parish Church uh, and his sermon entitled Trinity or Mystery. And uh, I think it should be subtitled Trinity or Postmodern Heresy. You pick. Here we go. Let us pray. Encircle us, O God, in your love. Welcome us anew to your table that we may share in your conversation. Uh-huh. See, already we got a problem because, you know, I don't know what it is about liberals and especially postmodern liberals. They kind of have a saccharine thing going on in the tone of their voice. This is like saccharine liberalism, yeah. The eloquent silence of the sacred three. Mm. May we receive the divine food from your hand and in love reflect the gaze of your love. I wonder if he believes in the yeasty loaf of uh, Catherine Jefford Shorey. You know, just wondering. Amen. Yeah, not sure what that prayer was. Today is Trinity Sunday. It is the day on which, perhaps more than any other, the church reflects on the nature of God. Yes, and a real quick question for you. Um, as we reflect and meditate on the nature of God, where is the only place we can go to get real, honest, true information regarding the nature of God? Yeah, that would be the Bible. 
Uh, yeah, the Trinity is not revealed in the book of nature, if you would. And uh, what we find in Scripture is that the, within the one God, and there is only one God, there are three distinct persons. This is what God has revealed about his nature in Holy Scripture. Keep that in mind as we listen to the Reverend Scott S. McKenna. In the Christian tradition, God is Trinity. No, it's not in the Christian tradition. That's in reality. God is a Trinity. Yeah, Christians recognize this because it has been revealed in our Holy Scriptures. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yep. Every service of public worship concludes with the minister or priest invoking the name of the triune God. People are blessed and sent out into the world in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do we believe that God is Trinity? Uh, Do you? That is a good question. Well, why don't you answer your own question there, Scott? The concept of the Trinity captures the very essence and nature of the Absolute Do we believe that the one who created the cosmos, who gave us the Big Bang and the experience of consciousness, is truly a trinity? If that is so, if in any literal or absolute sense God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then what does that mean for other world faiths? It means that they're false. It means that they're idolatrous. It means that they're worshiping a deity that doesn't exist. There's the answer to your question, Scott. The 14th century German theologian and mystic, Meister Eckhart. (laughs) And you expect me to sit there, oh, oh, wow, he's quoting a German theologian and mystic. Meister Eckhart, and you're going to expect that whatever comes out of your mouth next, me as a Christian, I'm supposed to bend the knee and bow my head in homage and reverence for what it is that you're about to say. Because, I mean, this is going to be the genuine gospel truth coming from the mystic Meister Eckhart. Oh, boy. Yeah, when you have a Christian pastor favorably quoting Meister Eckhart against the doctrine of the Trinity... Oh, you've got problems. Often described as the master of mystics, used a congregational response in his liturgy. He would say, God is light. And the people would reply, God is not light. For Eckhart, the point was that every word and concept we use of the divine is a metaphor. It is not itself God. Uh-huh. So, um, I think that's called theophastic prayer. But anyway, all right, so um, let me see if I got this straight. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, just metaphors. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really tell us anything absolutely true about God. Got it. Okay. The early church father, St. Augustine, said... If you understand the nature of God, then what you understand is not God. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, and I would agree with Augustine in the sense that he was talking about there in context. The idea being is is that um, you know the church, and by the way, Augustine confessed the doctrine of the Trinity uh, against the Arians and others. And uh, so the idea is this: is that we God has revealed that there is only one God, and that within the one God there are three persons. And if you claim that you understand how all that works. Yeah, you be lying. No, you be lying like a rug. You know, and you know the God that you've created is not the real God because God is beyond our ability to comprehend. Yet we know, we know this about His nature because His Word clearly reveals it. This is not something man has concocted. This is not something that man has made up. This is not the invention of a human being. This is divine revelation about the nature of God, and I don't know how it works. And if I were meant to know how it works, then God would have explained it in his scriptures, but he hasn't. Adopting the liturgy of Eckhart, let me say, God is Trinity. God is not Trinity. So there you go. God is Trinity. God is not Trinity. Oh, Lord, have mercy on this man's soul. The ancient Trinitarian doctrine dates from the early councils of the church. Uh, Wrong. Uh, Trinitarian doctrine is revealed in God's holy scriptures, and the doctrine of the Trinity itself is, begins to be unfolded and revealed in the very first sentence of Scripture. You can read the Hebrew, then you know what it says, and you understand that there's something very profound going on in the very first sentence of of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Let me read it from the uh, Hebrew. Bereshit bara Elohim, eth. In the beginning, he created gods, the heaven and the earth. (laughs) Yeah, the the noun and the verb don't uh, agree. And then later in the passage, it says, and let us make God, let us make man in our image, the scriptures say. So, yeah, um, so the thing is, is that this is what God has revealed about himself, and it's based upon text. The doctrine of the Trinity does not begin with um, the church fathers, the doctrine of the Trinity begins in God's self-revelation about his nature found in his book. We continue. Fourth to the seventh century. It was at these councils that the greatest church theologians of the day defined the fundamental doctrines of the faith. The Trinity yeah, no, actually what they did is they hammered out and made clear what they were saying that it was agreeing with and saying the same thing as Scripture. Big difference, by the way. Incarnation. At these councils, the bishops were seeking to avoid what they believed to be erroneous ways of speaking about God. Uh, no, it's not what they believed were erroneous ways. These are erroneous ways to speak about God, namely the Arian heresy and others. Uh, they're erroneous ways to speak about God because God's word doesn't say those things. Yeah, the Arians, the modalists, and other p- people like that, they were saying erroneous things regarding God's nature. However, 
Not for a moment did they imagine that they had explained the mystery. They weren't trying to explain the mystery. They were only communicating and clarifying what God has revealed in his holy scriptures. What would it have been like to have been at one of those councils? Some years ago, a shepherd told me that once a week, he and his dog had to travel in the back of a Land Rover on a boat over to an island to see his sheep. The journey involved other shepherds and other dogs sharing the back of the Land Rover on what was often a rough crossing. He said that with so many shepherds and so many dogs in such close proximity, it was a weekly recipe for snarling, nipping, biting, and jostling, and cursing. I imagine the early church councils were not dissimilar. At these early councils, the word that was most crucial was the Greek word homoousios. It means that Jesus was of one substance with the Father, one in essence, consubstantial. The Jesus of history, the young man from Nazareth, became the Christ of faith. He was said to possess two natures, one human and one divine. Uh, That's what Scripture says. The church council only agreed with what Scripture said. The fathers of the Eastern Church spoke of the Trinity as three persons in one essence. This is the language of the ancients. Oh yeah, those ancients. Oh, those snarling dog ancients. Conditioned by their worldview, addressing the specific concerns which they faced. If we are to speak of God today in ways that will be relevant and meaningful for people in our time, then we must find our own ways of expressing our understanding and our encounter experience of God. Uh, Wrong. Yeah, see, you catch the problem there? The ancients, they strove to not say anything different about God than what God has revealed about himself in his word. They weren't trying to be culturally relevant They were trying to be biblically faithful. Big difference. And yet he says, oh, we in our day, we've got to find a way to communicate about God that's relevant and truthful to our experience. As if somehow the ancients were trying to be relevant and truthful to their experience. Au contraire, they were not. And this is how you open the door to heresy, is you think that your experience and your culture somehow dictates how you communicate about God. Wrong. The faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. What God has revealed about his nature in time and space has always been true in eternity. We continue. Literalism is the curse of the church. Mm, Yeah. So I won't take your words literally then. I mean, if literalism is the curse of the church, I won't take your words literally. And I think what you're really trying to communicate is that you believe in the Easter Bunny. 
and also Santa Claus, which is kind of weird. I'm not sure how I'm getting this from your words, but you wouldn't want me to curse you with a literal interpretation of your words now, would you? Poetry is the language of religion. Literalism turns poetry into stone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Literalism. See, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, God's talking about himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's poetry. And those darn literalists, they've cursed us with a wooden stone of an interpretation. Losing the potency of myth, in demonizing myth, we have shut ourselves off from the riches of the Old and New Testaments. And over time, we have turned creedal orthodoxy into mathematics. Oh, yes. That's terrible. What are we going to do? We need down with creeds and mathematics. They're all from the devil. Our local saint, St. Catherine of Siena, spoke of the eternal now, of our encounter in the present moment. Mm, the eternal now and the encounter in the present moment. Was she a mystic? With the presence. Our trust of the mystery at the heart of all hearts. That's what faith's about, trying to capture that sense. Faith is about capturing the sense of mystery. I thought it's believing in, with certainty that God exists and he rewards those who seek him. You don't fault me for taking Hebrews you know, chapter uh, 11 seriously. Oh, and literally, you know. The mathematics of orthodoxy. Dame Julian of Norwich who lived in the early 15th century, reimagined the Trinity. Reimagined, really? And what did he base that reimagining on? Uh, a sure and certain word from God found in Holy Scripture? In a vision, she saw the working of the Trinity, and this is what she wrote. The high might of the Trinity is our Father, and the deep wisdom of the Trinity is our mother. Uh, <laughs> uh, reimagining the Trinity as father and mother. Oh, boy. Great love of the Trinity is our Lord. For Julian, the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is rendered Father, Mother, and Lord. Uh -huh. And no biblical text says that does it yeah in fact uh jesus in the great commission you know all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me go and there go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing teaching all that i've commanded yeah baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit lo i'm with you always even to the end of the age in fact the baptism of father son and holy spirit in the name of the father son and holy spirit that continues until jesus returns uh, we don't get to change it to Father, Mother, Lord. Jesus, the wisdom or word of God, is our mother. She said this. <laughs> oh, man. So Jesus is our mom. Got it. Okay. Because in Jesus, we hear the Logos, the word of God. Remember in John's Gospel, it says, In the beginning was the word. The word is the Logos. And it's through the Logos all things were made. It's that Logos we hear in Jesus. That Logos which gives birth to the whole of creation. Hence, 
Jesus is our mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, despite the fact he's a dude and he's circumcised. That's awkward. In Jewish understanding, it is the word of God. Let there be light. The whole creation came to be. The word carries the divine essence. So Jesus is our mother. Julian was tenderly reimagining the insights of the early church fathers. Tenderly reimagining? How about heretically uh, blurring and obfuscating? You're using the wrong metaphors here, dude. Later mystics have spoken of the Trinity as light, life, and love. They have reworked the formula. They've reworked, and we should trust the mystics in their reworking of the formula of the Trinity. Really? In their own time. So let me see if I got this straight. I, I can either go with what Scripture reveals and what the Father's affirmed that the scriptures were saying, or I can go with the reworked formula based upon later mystics. Yeah, I'm going to go with scripture on this one. And I think the church fathers, they got it right because they were trying to say the same thing as scripture. At the outset, I asked about other world faiths. Being dogmatic about doctrine is always a mistake. Yeah, you don't want to be dogmatic. So... My question for you then, Scott, are you being dogmatic about this, you know, literalism being a curse? I mean, it sounds like you're you're saying that quite dogmatically. Why is it okay for you to be dogmatically against a literalism and literally so? But you know, you think orthodoxy and all this kind of stuff is is bad and you know, being dogmatic is bad, but you're being dogmatic. Isn't that weird? There's no end to theological discussion. I passionately dislike the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Of course you do. Of course you do. Yeah, all liberals do. Yeah, they they find it offensive that they have to be bled and died for by Christ. Yeah. I do not deny the right of other Christians to preach it if, with an open mind, we turn to other faiths. If with an open mind we turn to other faiths, the first commandment is you will have no other gods before me. Why would I want to have an open mind towards other world religions? Hinduism. We find a threefold representation of God. Brahma, Shiva, and Krishna are three and one. And they will be emerging from CERN very shortly. Just give it a few weeks. If we believe that our insights and ours alone are absolute knowledge of God, our words and images have become an idol. Uh, Wrong. God's word is true, and God's word reveals that Hinduism is idolatry. Wow, so he's charging us with idolatry for believing Scripture. That's how backwards, upside-down, and inside-out liberalism is, folks. They may not be stone or carved wood, but they are an idol nonetheless, and we are terribly prone to that. Yeah, an idol is a false god created by man's imagination. Believing in the God who has revealed himself in Holy Scripture, that is not idolatry. That That is true worship of the true God that exists. The late Bede Griffiths, a Benedictine monk, 
spent much of his life in South India, immersed in the spirituality of that culture. Mm, another m- mystic monk. Okay, yeah, because we really need to be listening to those mystic monks. Of Buddhism, the monk says, it is true that the Buddhist does not believe in God, but he does believe in an infinite, eternal, transcendent reality. So what? That is not saving faith. Salvation is found in none other than Jesus Christ. It's characterized by wisdom and compassion. And what else do we mean by God? God is Trinity. God is not Trinity. In the 1960s, the Roman Catholic Church convened the largest church council since the Counter-Reformation. Though it seems forgotten now, the council commended warmly the relationship of Christianity to other world faiths. Of Hinduism and Buddhism, this is what they said. And listen to these beautiful words. In Hinduism, men contemplate the divine mystery and express it through an unspent fruitfulness of myths and through searching philosophical inquiry. They seek release from the anguish of our condition through ascetical practices or deep meditation or a loving, trusting flight towards God. Buddhism, in its multiple forms, acknowledges the radical insufficiency of this shifting world. It teaches a path by which men in a devout and confident spirit, can either reach a state of absolute freedom or attain supreme enlightenment by their own efforts or by higher assistance. Mm. So because uh, the Roman Catholic Church spoke so wonderfully about Hinduism, we need to not call them to penitent faith in Christ and tell them to abandon their false gods and believe in the one true God. We just need to leave them alone and, and understand they have some kind of philosophical loving light thingy going on that we need to just respect. Uh-huh. What a beautiful thing for the Roman Catholic Church to say in the mid-60s. Nothing beautiful about that at all. It's an abandonment of what Scripture teaches. Yeah, you read the book of Acts. Yeah, nowhere in the book of Acts are our idolaters encouraged to continue with idolatry. In fact, um, not only were they called to abandon the false deities of the Roman pantheon, uh, but they also, you know, it, it, you got to be careful that you didn't eat meat that was sacrificed to those deities for fear of scandalizing your fellow brothers in Christ. Yeah. In the 21st century, we need more, much, much more of this spiritual openness. No, we really don't. This is the thing that will lead to, the, you know, Actually, it's all part of the great apostasy. We need to stand our ground and believe what Scripture says, to repent of idolatry and trust in the one true God. In the heart, find the Spirit wherever it blows. The Abrahamic faiths, including Christianity, have been bruised by the curse of literalism. Oh, yeah, we're bruised by orthodox Christians. We need to just embrace nonsense. Lead to fundamentalism. Oh, it's terrible stuff, yeah, that... Orthodox Christianity. You know that the uh, Athanasian Creed, Nicene Creed, these were hammered out against the heretics because 
they couldn't confess them. Yeah, I guess that's a bad thing, you know. We need to learn again the language of spirituality. And where did you learn this language from? Not from scripture, but from mystics. Uh-huh. And unlearn the doctrinal point scoring which has so shaped the last 500 years of Christian history. Oh, yeah, we've we got to knock off this, you know, heresy hunting and believing sound doctrine. And what is he basing, the, which biblical text is he basing this on? He's not. He's just giving us his opinion and a few quotes from some mystics. But Scripture says the exact opposite of what this man is saying. So my question is, who are you going to believe? God's Word or the Reverend Scott S. McKenna? For me... That's right, for you. The doctrine of the Trinity is best understood as an expression of divine love rather than a philosophical concept. At its best, what does it tell us? The concept of God the Father reminds us that God is holy, hidden, always in the dark, elusive, in what Dionysius the Areopagite calls dazzling obscurity, the secret silence. But the poet Rilke said, I believe in the night. Only the darkness envelops all things. The concept of God the Father says that. The concept of God the Son is the essence of God that continually gives birth to creation in the myriad... Now, notice, he, he doesn't want to embrace the doctrine of the Trinity because he's eschewed it as abstract philosophical concepts. Yet everything after he said that statement about the abstract philosophical, everything he's saying is abstract philosophizing. None of it is grounded in what God's Word says about the nature of God. He's just engaging in philosophy at this point while claiming and uh, uh, basically uh, accusing Trinitarian dogma of being philosophy. That's the irony of all of this. This guy is playing with a, a, a stacked deck. He's engaging in the proverbial double standard. Of evolution, it is our mother. We hear its voice in the soul of Jesus. Together with the earth, Beneath our feet, we are all one. We're all part of the same incarnation. God is our mother. And which biblical text are you getting this from again, sir? The concept of the God, the Holy Spirit, is the divine within us. Oh, the divine within us, really, okay. Indwelling spirit. The very thing we taste when we love and live and fly spiritually. The Trinity is a human explanation of our encounter. No, it's not. The Trinity is a divine revelation of the nature of God found in Holy Scripture. The soul of the universe. Let me close with this. Yeah, please do. Dare I say that even the word God is misleading. Wow, it's at the end of the day, we not only do not have a doctrine of the Trinity, we don't even have the word God anymore. This guy has set out to destroy all meaning at this point. True postmodern liberal. Despite our best efforts, 
It tends to sound like an object or a single being or a... Yeah, you know, like, you know, maybe the reason why God sounds like a being is because God is a being. Wow. Something quite separate from us, up there, out there. Instead, God is the absolute, the transcendent in our midst. Yeah, again, philosophy. Which biblical text are you basing this on? In and through all things. Jesus said, the Father is in me, and I am in you. Out of context now, yeah. The doctrine of the Trinity attempts to capture the sense that this is a sacramental universe with the hidden God present in all things, present in Jesus, present in us, present in the earth beneath But not present in your preaching at all. Beat. Like Hinduism and Buddhism, spiritual Christianity is learning to be at one with the mystery. Mm-hmm. And an embracing of a pantheistic worldview, if you would. God is Trinity. God is not Trinity. Amen. So uh, there you go, folks. That is uh, obfuscation and postmodern gobbledygook, you know, taken to its extreme. And uh, wow, basically a denial of the reality of the meaning of words at all. And what are you left with at the end of it? You don't even have the word God anymore. Is it just let's be all one and, and recognize our oneness with God kind of thing? Yeah. You see the problem. All right. We're at the uh, end of hour number one. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, sermon review. Don't want to miss it. From Keith Kraft. It's been a while since we've done a full sermon review from him. So <clears throat> stay tuned. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. We're going to take a look at the ecclesiastical model employed by much of American evangelicalism today, especially as put forward by the seeker driven movement. Chris Rosebro talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. We're going to take a look at where this idea of a vision casting leader comes from, what its main tenets are, and we're going to compare that so called ecclesiastical office to the biblical office of pastor to see if the two are actually synonymous and interchangeable or if this concept of a vision-casting leader actually turns a pastor into a false prophet. You can meet and hear Chris Rosebro making the case against vision-casting leaders in the church June 19th and 20th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385.
the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review time. We're going to mix it up. We're not going to play our normal sermon review music in honor of the sermon that we're going to actually be reviewing. Yeah, there's a reason for that. It has to do with uh, something we heard Keith Kraft say a few years ago here at Fighting for the Faith. All right, let's do this. Here we go. These are the sounds of the mariachi trench. That's right. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Elevate Life Church at the Cathedral of Frisco. Keith Kraft, the vision casting leader presiding. The name of the sermon we will be listening to is entitled, How to Make Today the Day. And included in this will be a prophetic poem. I'm not making that up. There will be a prophetic poem that will help unleash the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can make today the day. So, (laughs) I wish I was making this up, but unfortunately, I'm not. Let me back off on the music, and without any further ado, here's Keith Craft and today's sermon that we'll be reviewing, entitled, How to Make Today the Day. Here we go. Let me just tell you why we do this. We're going to make some declarations because we believe that you've got to say what you hear so you can see what you say. In other words, you change your world by saying the right things. We frame our world by what we speak. We put our hand on our heart, not because we're pledging to the flag, but as a point of contact, we're not just going to say it with our mouth, but we're going to believe it with our heart, all right? So the words are on the screen. Say this. So apparently he's a word of faith heretic, basically believing that your words create reality which is why they're going to say what it is that you're about to hear. This is his own version of his own creed, similar to the creed you hear from uh, Joel Osteen's Lakewood. Um, Here's uh, the self-obsessed, self-focused, eye-focused creed of Keith Craft in the Cathedral of Fritzko. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship created for good works. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up our hands. Say this with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen? And by tacking on in Jesus' name at the end of that blasphemous, self-centered, I-centered uh, creed, if you would. Uh, that's called blasphemy. That's, yeah, that's, thank you. Turn and greet somebody. Tell them you're glad to see them. In 1969, Mel Fisher began the search for the Nuestra Sonora de Atocha. Uh, the what? Spanish treasure galleon that sank off the coast of the Florida Keys in 1622. It became a 16-year adventure that included financial hardship, tragic loss, and triumph. That's right. Today's sermon is about a treasure hunter. Each day, 
Mel began the day by announcing to his team, today's the day. Finally, on July 20th, 1985, it was the day. The search for the Atosha is more than just one man's journey. Mel's wife, children, friends, investors, and community were involved in the quest. Years of underwater exploration were matched by years of archival research. Success was met with costly court cases, the loss of loved ones, and other tragedies that happened along the way. The story of the Atosha is the story of treasure and tragedy. 265 people were lost at sea. The ambition of a nation was irrevocably changed and its plundered riches lay buried on the ocean floor for almost 400 years. This last weekend, um, I was not here. As some of you know, Josh preached and did a great job. Thank you, son. And, um, but I had a very unique opportunity. I was asked by people that are in the billionaire status Uh, In fact, there were eight men who I did not know who asked me to come speak to them on a yacht in Fort Lauderdale about the kingdom of God and about how to truly be kings in the kingdom of God. And it was such an unusual request. So eight billionaires, a yacht, Florida Keys. Yeah, ask Keith Crabb, come teach us about the kingdom of God. Do you think they heard about repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? I do seriously doubt it. Um, But I decided that I would go do it. Uh, And uh, it was a hard thing to do. But to be three days on a big boat with guys you've never met before is a little daunting and especially in this in this status. And so anyway, these guys had heard that I raise up kingdom millionaires and they said, you know, we just we're, you know, we're kingdom builder billionaires, and but we want to know how it works. How does the kingdom of God work? And so we went, we met with them for three days. I took uh, one of our kings, Mitch, along with me, and it was an awesome, awesome time. But literally, uh, after three days, I was hoarse. They asked me to speak and speak and speak uh, three sessions a day, two hours each session. So there wasn't a whole lot of just yacht fun. Uh, but, but yet the kingdom of God was advanced and it was very exciting. But one of the, one of the most unusual things about this particular trip was one of the guys said to us, they said, Hey, listen, uh, we want to take a little break today and go to a museum. And I thought, my first thought was our wives aren't with us. Like we're on a yacht. It's beautiful. It's Key West, Florida. Why would we ever go to a museum? And when I walked into this museum, all I can tell you is um, not only was it eye-opening, but I walked into a part of history that I knew nothing about that's literally helped to shift my thinking about a lot of things. The Melchior- So apparently this was a life-transforming trip to a museum, and now he's going to use that as the basis for his sermon today rather than the Word of God. Hmm. Weird, huh? Museum in Key West, Florida has in it the greatest treasure discovery in the history of the world. And as I walked through the doors of that place and began to look around, immediately I was captivated by what I saw. But as I began to hear the story, they took a picture, Mitch took a picture of me by this sign, 
And the sign says, today's the day. Because here's a man who for 16 years, talk about being all in just for a minute. For 16 years, he decided to move his family from California to Florida in search of a ship called the Atosha that sunk in 1622 that was reported to have the largest treasure ever known. And for 16 years, he would announce to his team, today's the day. Today's the day. We're in our all-in series. And let me just tell you something. I want to talk to you today about... Today is not the day they're going to hear about Christ crucified for their sins or God's word rightly handled, exegeted, and taught, and Christ proclaimed from it. No, today is the day they're going to hear a motivational speech of sorts, if you would, based upon the life of, you know, this guy who was a treasure hunter who was looking for the Spanish gold galleon, the um, the Atosha. Mm-hmm. To make today the day. I want to speak into your life prophetically for just a few moments because what I... You want to speak into my life prophetically from this trip to your the museum regarding the Atosha. Really? And what I saw in that museum was way more than just a treasure collection. But I was inspired by God to give you what I'm going to give you today. Which I- So you're claiming it, literally in, inspiration. Like, the, I mean, Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. So this message is on par with Scripture because it was inspired by God for you to deliver today, right? Leave his treasure from heaven. This was a man who sold his house, moved his entire family, had a barge built, and they lived on a barge, kind of like a houseboat, very dilapidated. He was all in, sold out everything, and for 16 years, very little success. And every day he woke up and would say, today's the day. And finally, on July 20th, 1985, it was the day. It's one thing for me to tell the story. It's another thing for you to see it for yourself. Watch this. And now here comes documentary video. Um, yeah, of the story of this treasure hunter whose theme was today is the day. And this is the basis of the sermon. On any given day, ships plying the Straits of Florida carry cargo worth a mere fraction of the treasure that sank beneath the waves. Scattered across the seabed are the wrecks of thousands of Spanish galleons and an untold fortune in gold. There is a continuing hunt for treasure, particularly in the Caribbean, but elsewhere, for the wreckage of some of those ships where there are, there will be gold coins and possibly gold bars on those ships. The great Florida treasure hunt was inspired by the greatest treasure tale of all time, Treasure Island. A book that left its mark on an Indiana boy named Mel Fisher. He was interested in treasure hunting all his life, even from a little when he was a little kid. And it was just something he always dreamed about doing and wanted to do. When Mel grew up and moved to the Golden State of California, he went prospecting. He had a dive shop out in California, and he used to save all his money and go treasure hunting for a hobby. And then his hobby, the vacations, treasure hunting kept getting longer and longer. And finally, 
in the early 60s, he decided to go full-time treasure hunting. Fisher's prize was a fleet of Spanish galleons that sank off the coast of Florida in 1715. He sold his business, packed up his wife and children, moved to Florida, and held his breath. He and six other people all agreed to work for one year without pay and see if they could find the treasure. Fisher's team swept 120,000 miles of ocean floor with a metal detector called a magnetometer. Just a reminder, this is supposed to be a sermon at a Christian church on a Sunday morning. Up a cannon, an anchor, or gold. On a 360th day, five days before their deal was up, they dug a hole and it was full of gold doubloons. That day, they brought up $50,000 worth of gold. Fisher was hooked. Two years later, he began combing the Florida Keys for an even greater prize. The Spanish galleon Atosha, flagship of a 17th century treasure fleet bound for Spain. They would gather up treasure from South America, Central America, and North America, and they would take it on smaller fleets to Havana, Cuba. That was like their hub. And there all the ships would meet up and they would form a large fleet and sail back to Spain, taking this tremendous flow of wealth. This flow of wealth continued for over 300 years. Scores of treasure ships fell prey to swashbuckling privateers like Sir Francis Drake and Sir Walter Raleigh. It was those gold coins that Drake and Raleigh and the other people were in pursuit of 400 years ago. But the greatest threat to the treasure fleets wasn't marauding pirates. It was weather. When the Atosha set sail in August of 1622, hurricane season had already begun. One day after they left Havana, they got caught in a hurricane, and the Admiral ordered the fleet to sail west, thinking that they could sail out past the Florida Keys and ride out the storm in the Gulf of Mexico. And the fleets, the, the ships that followed the Admiral, all sank and perished. And the ships that disobeyed the Admiral all survived. More than 500 souls perished in the storm. Among the doomed ships was the one with the most gold, the Atosha. Each of these shipments of gold from South America to Spain, they were all big, big shipments with large quantities of gold relative to the amount that was available in the world. And if for some reason they didn't arrive, armies would not get paid, armies would not get fed. Uh, it was extremely important to Spain. There had not been a, a shipment of treasure to Spain for four years, and the king desperately needed this money to keep control of Europe. And when the Atocha sank, it was a devastating blow to the economy. In 1970, Mel Fisher set out to find the Atocha. Well, he read about the Atocha in uh, Potter's Treasure Diver's Guide, and it had four stars next to it, meaning it had a lot of treasure on it. We knew there was 47 tons of gold and silver out there waiting for us. And then the, the research told us where it was, approximately, but it gave us a starting point. The starting point was the upper Florida Keys, but the search led nowhere. Four years later, the pivotal clue emerged across the Atlantic among dusty archives in Seville. A researcher scouring Old South... Again, just a reminder, this is supposedly a sermon 
records, discovered Fisher was looking in the wrong place. He spent three years looking up in the upper Florida Keys in the Matacombies, uh, 100 miles in the wrong direction. It turned out that uh, Potter had some bad research. Fisher shifted his base to Key West and started over. Long on hope and short on money, he herded his family onto a leaky houseboat. He battled bill collectors and rival salvagers. He sold off minor treasures he'd found to keep searching for the treasure that eluded him. Yet Fisher never lost faith. Each morning he announced to his crew, today's the day. For 16 years, Fisher relentlessly pursued the Atosha, a search that would exact a terrible price. In 1975, one of the salvage boats capsized and my brother and his wife and another diver were trapped inside and drowned. And, uh, you know, we thought about giving it up, but then we decided that Dirk would want us to continue and it actually increased our determination. We were going to find it for Dirk. And it was 10 years to the day from the accident that we found it. So I kind of think he was up there helping us, you know. On July 19, 1985, as always, Mel Fisher announced, today's the day. Using magnetometers and sonar, his sons Kim and Kane spent the day scouring the seabed for signs of the Atosha. That afternoon, Kane announced he'd found something. He called me on the radio and said that this one hit we had marked had barrel hoops sticking up out of the mud. The barrel hoops are the metal straps that hold the water barrels together. And so that, that was very exciting. As the sun began to set, Kane Fisher went back down for a closer look. And he dug a hole, and the hole was full of barrel hoops and pieces of eight, like the, the silver coin I'm wearing, and copper ingots. There was 20 tons of copper on board the Atocha. So it started getting pretty exciting. And we moved the boat a little bit and dug another hole, and there was less stuff. And we moved again, and there was less stuff. And uh, so we're starting to wonder if it was just another tease, you know. We'd, we'd have been teased several times by the Atocha. As night fell, the brothers were forced to stop searching. The next morning, they moved the boat again and dug another hole. This time, they hit the mother load. The first reaction was, now what do I do? Because I'd spent most of my life looking for this one wreck, and now all of a sudden, there it was. Well, that didn't last too long, because finding it was hard, but once you find it, then the work really starts. In all, the Fishers retrieved, cleaned, and cataloged a quarter of a million artifacts, silver bars, gold ingots, and yards of gold chain. The value of the Atosha's cargo is estimated at half a billion dollars. It made Mel Fisher the richest treasure hunter in the world and made governments greedy. The state of Florida and the federal government both claimed ownership to the Atocha. And my father offered them 35%, and they said no, they wanted it all. So we went to court for eight years, and it went all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and they said finders keepers. So we got it all. Mel Fisher went back to sea in search of more treasure. 
1998, at age 76, he died of cancer. Dad was a treasure hunter, uh, you know, from the day one. And he did it till the day he died. And he died a happy man. I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. Uh, I'll, I'll be doing this until I die. Is that a great story or what? Not found in the Bible. Um, what's wrong with, like, opening up a biblical text and preaching from it? Why do we have to hear uh, the story of a guy who died from cancer? The fact that he died from cancer proves that he suffers from the same thing I suffer from, and that is he's a sinner in need of God's grace and mercy. Um, disciples of Jesus, uh, the church is supposed to, you know, proclaim Christ teach all that he's commanded. Where did Jesus command us to teach about treasure hunters? Can anybody say today's the day? Today's the day. For what? The reality is 16 years, very little result. But he decided that I'm not just all in. My family's all in. I believe in this dream. I'm going for it. I wrote a poem this week. And here comes the prophetic poem I told you about. Being at that museum and hearing this story. And let me just say something about what I'm about to read to you. This is not just a cute little poem. This is prophetic. Me speaking a word over your life. Oh, he's claiming prophecy for his poem. So that we've got to add this to the back of your Bible right after the book of Revelation. Please uh, get some blank pages and start opening up, uh, you know, a new book of Scripture, the book of Keith Craft. That is going to happen. As I begin to read this, you can say, oh, I don't believe that. But why don't just for a minute, you've taken your time to be here. Why don't just for a minute you believe that God brought you to this place to give you a word that's going to change the course of your life forever? Can you disagree with me for a few minutes? No, I can't because what you're about to say is not found in God's word. Why should I believe just for a moment that God prophetically gave you the inspiration to write a prophetic poem? Huh? Come on, come on. As, I, as I read this over your life, can you just say, this is for me? Come on. No, I can't. I can't because it's not from God's word. Everybody come. Will everybody come into agreement with me? So here it goes. This is your word. This isn't just a poem. This is prophetic. It's just for you. Here we go. Today's the day God has ordained for you. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Today's a reminder that yesterday is gone and tomorrow's out of sight. Today is the day where all wrongs will be made right. Today is the day to start again. Today is the day that you will win. No matter how many times you've lost in the past, God has a future for you that is bright and vast. It's time to look forward and go in the direction of your dreams to do the impossible, no matter how hard it seems. Did Dr. Seuss write this? Oh, man. Yeah, see, I already know this is not prophetic and not from God because, number one, it's not from Scripture. But number two, where in Scripture are we told to pursue our dreams and things like that? That's not part of the gospel, you know? Today's the day to keep doing what you know to do. Draw close to God, and He will draw close to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't he draw close to me? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me 
draws him. God is the one who draws me to him. Bad theology, more proof that this is not a Holy Spirit-inspired prophetic poem. Appointments, rejection, fear, and a broken heart. God is going to use all those real-life things to give you a brand new start. Today's the day to believe you can do all things through Christ who empowers you to fulfill his plan. Don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. Today, walk by faith and don't be distracted by sight. Today's the day for your dreams to come true. Say it, believe it. It's your father God's good pleasure to give the kingdom to you. And give the kingdom to you as long as you say it and believe it. You know, name it and claim it, you know. His name, I speak that over your life. Today's the day. Yeah, you can speak it all you want. They're just the words of a mere man and nothing to do with the true God who is. Everything's going to change. Come on, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm telling you, today, come on, today is your day. Come on, just speak that and believe that with me, all right? Why should I? It's nowhere found in Scripture. I really have it in my heart just to teach you for a few minutes on how to make today the day and how to make every day today being the day. How to get that kind of faith level, like a man who just believed. He just believed. He kept believing. His own son died. He kept believing. He almost quit. He kept believing. He wasn't just in it. He was all in it. And that's the way I believe that God wants us to live our life. He wants us to be all in. One of my favorite scriptures is Proverbs 8, verse 17 through 21. This is speaking about the wisdom of God. And that's what we're going to get today. We're going to get the wisdom of God. And here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 8, verse 17 through 21. I love all who love me. And those who search will surely find me. Now listen to this. I have riches and honor as well as enduring wealth and justice. My gifts are better than gold, even purest gold. My wages better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness in the midst of justice. Those who love me inherit wealth. I will fill their treasures. This is not from some motivation book. This is from the word of the living God. He says, you know what? My fruit is better than gold, better than fine silver. I will lead in the paths of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of judgment, so that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. Uh, wow. Um, yeah, you're, you're kind of forgetting something here. Let's take a look at the context real quick. Proverbs 8, verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles and all who govern justly. I love those who love me. This is wisdom speaking. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, 
and filling their treasuries. Is this a promise of earthly wealth, ultimately? No, this isn't even that, is it? No, this is an allusion to the wealth and the treasure and the reward of eternal life and our eternal treasure. We continue. Treasures. If today is going to be the day, a couple of things I want to leave you with. Take a look at your notes. Number one, get focused on what you want. Uh, you want me to get focused on what I want. That, that seems a little me focused, don't you think? How about I should get focused on what my neighbor needs? How's that? Because all of the vocations God has put me in, he's put me in in order to serve and love my neighbor in those vocations. Hmm. Focused on what you want. Mel Fisher was focused on what he wanted. And can I tell you something? Why don't you just make your number one want, just today, make your number one want to want what God wants for you. And what would that be exactly? Let's pray that prayer right now. Eyes open. Just with me. Say, God, I want for me what you want for me. I, I, I. Oh, yeah. That's such a pious prayer. I want what you want for me, God. Yeah, because I just read you want to give me, you know, treasure and gold and silver and stuff. I want what you want for me. Oh, yeah, uh-huh, right. Focus on what you want. Get focused on what you want. I love what Mark Twain said. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sell away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Yeah, Mark Twain, not found anywhere in Scripture. Yeah, and he died too, by the way, which proves he was a sinner as well as well as me. You know, so did he draw, die in penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins? Too often times we go through life limping, we go through life doubting, we go through life scared, we go through life wondering really are good things going to happen for us we go through life not really and god doesn't necessarily promise good things to happen to us at least not in this life he does promise us good things in the next which is why he calls us to penitent faith in christ for the forgiveness of our sins standing that god is for us that we're his sons that we're his daughters and sometimes we, we do marriage and we do business and we do family and we do life as if we were really in control. But God says, listen, why don't you give me control? Why don't you turn your business over to me? Why don't you just not be, why don't, why don't you just not have your own business? Why don't you make your business my business? Why don't you make me your primary partner? Why don't you just not worry so much about your kids and turn your kids over to me? Why don't you, when you look at your life... What text are you reading that from again? When you look at your future, why don't you trust in me? Because here's what my word says. If you'll trust in me with all your heart and not lean to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge me, I will direct your path. You see, the truth is you've got to get focused on what you want. Two things with that. You got to get focused on what you want. Again, you got to know what matters most to you. You gotta matter. You gotta know what matters most to me. I'm the standard of really. Okay. Can I just tell you that I'm living the dream today? 
Oh, I bet you are. Um, you're not preaching Christ, though, are you? Somebody asked me how I was doing this week, and normally I say wonderfully well and blessed and highly favored of the Lord, and that's always my confession. But this week I said that with I'm living the dream. I think about this dream of mine sitting on the front row. This morning, just watching her as we were getting ready for church, thinking in my mind, God, she's proof to me every day of how much you love me. She's my dream come true. And I don't just say that to make her feel good, although I hope it does. But I live in that awareness. I'm living the dream because of who I get to be with. I think about my son sitting right next to her. I remember as a little boy, Josh, put your hands in my hands. Josh, God's going to use these hands to heal people. He's going to use your mouth to proclaim his word. Josh, you're going to be a great man of God. And I see him up here. And I watch him proclaim God. And I sit there as a father. Or last week, as I paused with those billionaires to say, I need to watch my son. He's preaching the word right now. And then I begin to show the men, this is my son. He's preaching today while I'm with you guys. Can I just tell you, son, I'm living the dream because I get to do life with you. And the truth is, as I look around this room, thank you. As I look around this room, the privilege that I have to be in this room with you, the privilege that we have together to advance God's cause in the earth, what greater thing could we do with our life? How are you advancing God's cause in the earth if Christ is the one who's called us to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations and to well, you know, teach them all that he has commanded? You are not doing that this morning. You, you're off on some kind of a self-help seminar, you know, make us feel good. Today's the day kind of thing. And uh, this is not scripture. This has nothing to do with repentant faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, nor is what you preaching does it have anything to do whatsoever with true Christian sanctification or even producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, you know, things like that. Spend our lives to advance his cause together. I'm so honored. You see, the truth is you've got to get focused on what you want. And you've got to know. Yeah, I, I got to get focused on what I want. Really? What matters most to you. But secondly, you've got to know who matters most to you. Make God matter most to you. Make the people that you love. Law, make God matter most. Law, law, law. Why don't you tell me something that God has done for me? Gospel. I need to hear that. Most matter to you. And that'll teach you to love other people that are hard to love even more. Why is it so important that we focus on those who matter most to us? Well, when I went into this, you know, here, here's the kind of person I am, just so you know. I'm a voracious reader. When I, like, it didn't take me very long. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and I guess that's why when I go into a room like I was at the Mel Fisher Museum, I think, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this place to sharpen me. And I got, uh, I got Mel Fisher's story called The Dreamweaver. And uh, 
And as I was reading this book, and from the time that I got the book until now, I read the book, I got on a plane with Sheila. I said, Sheila, listen to this. I just got to read you some of this stuff. And literally in the middle of the book, this is what makes everything come together. You see, it had been many years that Mel Fisher had made this sacrifice to move from California to Florida and just limited results. Again, he had a team that for a year, they all decided, listen, let's don't take any money. Let's don't take any pay. And they all agreed to do that. And you heard the story. And literally on the 360th day, five days from everybody walking away, they found $50,000 in gold. But listen, that, 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 was just a, that was just to give everybody a little bit of something after working for a year. And also the investors that were investing. So that was, that was nothing. $50,000, it's relative. It was nothing. And the truth is, for the next two years, they didn't find anything. Zero, zilch, nothing. By the time 1975 rolled around, his own son was killed and his new wife, you heard that story, and they all thought about, listen, we got to, we got to, we, we, maybe we need to stop. The, the price is just too great. Nobody's making any money. Investors are getting anxious. It's just very difficult. I love this part of the story. He's getting all choked up about Mel Fisher's story, but not a biblical text. One day, Mel Fisher decided, we need to go to church. While he was still living in Vero Beach, Mel and Dio joined a new Methodist church that was still under construction. Meetings were held in the gymnasium of the high school while Bible classes were being held in one of the schoolrooms. Mel and Dio were attending Bible study classes, and the teacher was a very tall, friendly man by the name of Eugene Lyon. Gene had previously been a city manager, then taught history in the local community college. He and his wife Dot, or his wife Dot, worked at Force Pierce Library. Both Gene and Dot had casually met the Fishers on other occasions, but through the church, would everybody just say this with me? But through the church, one more time, but through the church, they became close friends. Gene had decided to go back into the educational system for his graduate work in Latin American history. At the University of Florida, he had learned to read older Spanish archaic script, something he did very well that not hardly anyone in the world did. Years before, Mel and Dio had traveled to Madrid, Spain, where he had purchased a few old Spanish books about shipwrecks. Because he couldn't translate the archaic Spanish, they sat on his bookshelf collecting dust. One day after church, Mel and Jean were having coffee and donuts when Jean just happened to mention the fact that he could translate old archaic Spanish. Yeah, notice here, again, he's reading from the story of Mel whatever. Um, This is not found in your Bible, by the way. Mel and Jean were sitting in front of his house with a stack of old Spanish shipwreck books in front of them. There was a glint in Jean's eyes as he picked them up and began to very easily read every page to Mel. The day turned into night, all night. And the more they read, the more they became interested. Finally, Gene said, my gosh, I can't believe how many tons of gold and silver were on these ships. The night wore on. It became all night. 
Page after page was filled with old accounts of shipwrecks sunken in the many parts of the Spanish overseas empire. Gene then mentioned to Mel he would be traveling to Seville for research on his doctorate, his thesis in the near future. Mel began his search for the Atosha by this time, and he said to Gene, while you're there, if you'll research the Atosha for me, I'll give you $10,000 and 1% of any treasure that we recover. While in Spain, Gene Lyons discovered that Mel Fisher had been over 100 miles from the original site where the Atosha went down. Well, the story goes on. (laughs) Mel Fisher's living his life, making incredible sacrifices. A treasure hunter from a little boy, and yet there's this one missing piece in his life. And the one missing piece in his life was not just Gene Lyons, but his connection to the house of God. He got connected to the house of God and in the house of God became close friends with the exact person that Mel Fisher needed to find the treasure that's the greatest discovery in the history of the world. You heard Josh talk a minute ago about this being Servant Leadership Weekend. Can I tell you that there's some tables in the lobby that are set up and if you're not serving in this house, let me just, let me encourage you with something just for a minute. It's not about going and signing up to be on a team. It's about understanding that in this house, in God's house, some of you don't realize, but your Gene Lyons is waiting to connect with you. I don't know what your dream is, but God does. In fact... So through the Cathedral of Frisco, God is going to help you discover the greatest treasure on earth or the equivalent of it in whatever the dream that you're pursuing in your life. Uh-huh. God's dream that he's dreaming through you. Listen, I could, I could want kids all, I could say, man, I'd love to have kids someday and I could tell everybody about it, but I had to find me a precious. I had to find me a Sheila. And the amazing thing is when we came together, it was natural, it was organic, it was fun, and we had some kids. Can I tell you that your dreams that are going to be birthed through you are going to be a direct result from the relationships and resources that God brings into your life? Welcome to Elevate Life Church. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to your future. Welcome to your dreams coming true. I'm prophesying that. Yeah, no, you're not prophesying. Actually, this is false prophecy because Scripture does not teach that Christianity is about making your dreams come true. Your life right now. Come on, let's believe that. Now, some of you are sitting here and it's your first time and you came with your girlfriend. And you're thinking, what the heck? What in the world is that guy talking about? Just proving to you in history that the greatest treasuries that are ever discovered begin in the house of God, both on earth and in heaven. And this is a place where your past, present, and future collide so that God can forge the future and dream the dream through you and bring about the dreams that he's dreaming through you are going to come to pass. 
Today's the day. I said, today's the day. Somebody says, I don't believe that. Then you- yeah, th- this sermon has as much truth in it as the sermon we heard on the Trinity from that uh, chapel in, you know, Scott, Pastor Scott. Yeah, about as, as much truth in it. To find the treasure. Oh, you can do it on your own, Mel. But everybody needs a Gene Lyons. Can I tell you, if I were you and I wasn't serving in this church, and again, we're not trying to get you to volunteer. We don't need any volunteers here. Martin Luther King said, transformation happens at the level of service. We believe that out at that table today, the reason we have this strategic weekend is because we believe, watch this now, not that we'll have more people to serve. We already have over 2,000 people that serve every week. So just know that. We're not like, well, if we can get 2,001, we'll do better. We want to provide you an opportunity to connect on a kingdom level as you serve God and make his house a priority in your life and you get focused on the kingdom of God. He's going to make every dream in your life come true in Jesus' name. And that's blasphemy right there. Nowhere in scripture does God promise that. In Jesus' name. So get focused on what you want. Here's the second thing. Get the right map, the right directions. Anybody ever been lost? Is GPS just the most amazing thing? I just can't believe it. Anywhere in the world where I am, and we were down in Key West, and anywhere we are, just plug it into the phone, and and it, it tells you. I mean, you remember the old days? Some of you ladies that are older, you're married to a man that would not stop. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, can we just stop, Master directions? No, I got it, honey. Look, we've been going an hour. I know, but I got it. All you do is you take out that phone and, hey, here's where we need to go. Isn't that awesome? Can I tell you, this is a day where technologically, we are, we are in a technological world where now nobody who has access to a phone, listen now, will ever be lost again. Think about it. Nobody that has access to a phone will ever be lost again. Again, unless they just choose to go, you know what? I don't need this phone. I'll find it myself. We're in a day that if you will realize that because of this book and the map and the directions in this book, you never have to be lost again, ever again, ever again. But it's up to you. You can say, you know what? I don't need that. My friend, Greg, Craig Rochelle, and his friend, Bob, Bobby Grunwald, developed a Bible app called YouVersion. Is that right? Over 100 million downloads. Now we don't just have a map, a GPS, but the Word of God with as many versions as we want that when I need a word, I just go to my phone and God speaks to me out of His Word. Yeah, why don't you have God speak to the people there at the Cathedral of Frisco out of his word? You haven't really done that this morning. You know, I I was, I want to tell you a quick story. I was, um, when I was, uh, uh, please tell us more about yourself because we don't need to hear about Jesus at all. I mean, Jesus um, 2000 years ago, I mean, he's so irrelevant. You are alive and well today. And and it's really more important that we hear about you. Uh, a boy, I was driving along and my, my mom and my dad are in the front of the car and I'm reading the, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalms 119, and I'm reading it out loud. 
And I was really reading it just for myself, but I'm reading it. And my dad, who did not know the Lord at that time, my dad said, look, how long, how long is that chapter? I said, I said, dad, it's a, the longest chapter in the Bible. Cause do you, do you have to keep reading that out loud? Can you just read that to yourself? And I didn't have to say anything because my mother said, Jimmy, that's my dad's name. Jimmy, what would you like him to read to you? Don't you think it's good that our son is reading the word of God? He says, yes, continue on, please. Okay. So if you'll humor me a little bit, I want to read you some map, some directions out of Psalms 119. I'm not going to read. All right. We're finally going to get to the word of God. He's not going to read the whole chapter, but Psalm 119, we'll hear some of it. But just a few things that I think might resonate with us here today. Watch this now. Joyful are the people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Anybody want more joy in your life? Well, here's the prescription. Follow God's directions. Law, not gospel. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Law, not gospel. Does this sound like you or does this sound like somebody else? Is this convicting you of your shortcomings? God's law has a tendency to do that, doesn't it? Not like, well, I wonder if we should go to church today. Weather's pretty good. You know, I honestly thought every seat in this room would be filled today because it was such great weather. But then I thought, well, it's great weather. But then when it rains, I think, oh, man, there's going to be people today that don't come because the weather's bad. Here's my point. Don't follow God halfway. Come to his house, gather in, together in his name, get equipped, get empowered. Yeah, were the people who haven't been following him with all their heart, were they sinning? Were they needing to repent? Did Jesus bleed and die for those sins? It's kind of an important thing. If you're going to preach the law, the solution isn't just try harder and commit to doing better. There's got to be repentance and forgiveness of sins involved and you know a crucified and risen savior uh-huh from this place change the world find your treasure and get rich in the process in jesus name <laughs> yeah here we go again getting rich in the process again yeah yeah the person who's who's rich is uh keith Kraft, but poor in regards to the word of god and truth name and can I just tell you that I love the word of God. Listen, he says, I've tried to find you. David says, don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I will pursue your commands for you expand my understanding. Another version says, you enlarge my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands for that is where my happiness is found. Re- rewind, rewind. Make me walk along your path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Well, I just thought if I had a little bit more money, I just thought if I had this person in my life, make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Come on. What kind of worthless things have you been allowing to mess you up? Uh, like, you know, this sermon, that would be like the starting point. Yeah, worthless thing that this sermon is um, by not preaching God's word correctly and exegeting it correctly and pointing me to Christ and him crucified for our sins 
and claiming to have prophetic poetry in the midst of it, yeah, that would I think that qualifies. The sermon qualifies as a worse a worthless thing that uh, we need to turn our eyes from so that we might have life in the word of God. What kind of focus on worthly things have you been stirred up about? What kind of things won't matter in five years from now, but it's keeping you from getting sleep right now? David said, turn my eyes from worthless things and help me follow your word. I pondered the direction of my life, and guess what? Only you can do that. Only you can look at the direction of your life, and I turned to follow your laws. Now, I love this because in this one statement are the riches of the treasures of the word of God. Listen to this. He says, you are good and you do only good. So on that basis, I give you permission to teach me your way. Let me tell you why you should follow God. Because he's good and he only does good and he has your best interests in mind. He doesn't have a big sledgehammer waiting to hit you over the head because you made a mistake. That's why he sent his son Jesus because just one drop of his blood cleanses you, washes you, and saves you forever. All right, so we got, it's not technically a gospel nugget. We got something that resembles the gospel there. He goes on to say this, you made me, you created me. I love this. Now give me the sense to follow you. Everybody put your hand on your head. Come on right now. Come on, just follow me. Come on, do it. God, give me the sense to follow you. Hey, listen now. You know you're following somebody. The way you're doing your marriage, you're following some kind of philosophy. The way you do your money, you're following somebody's philosophy. The way you do business, you're following somebody's philosophy. Lord, give me the sense to follow you. Yeah, that would require you as a pastor to actually obey what Scripture says and to preach the Word um, rather than your own ideas and what you think are revelations from God that aren't. And... uh, and all of this other stuff that technically is a philosophy that you're preaching there, Keith. And then he goes on to say this. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and it's a light to my path. Your laws are my treasure. This is where all treasure starts right here. Indeed, that's true. They are. You should be preaching it in context. He's. It's kind of hopscotching through Psalm 119. Heart's delight. I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. You know, Mitch is here and, and Mitch's takeaway from our weekend with these with these uh, these men was I need to be in the word more. And I thought, man, isn't that how God, he says, blessed are those Jesus in the greatest sermon, arguably, that's recorded in scripture. It's called the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed, happy, fortunate, lucky are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. God wants us to hunger and thirst. Listen, nobody can determine what you hunger and thirst for, whether it's Sprite or whatever it is. Here's the bottom line. Your hunger is your hunger. What are you hungry for today? What are you thirsty for today? Can I tell you? Be hungry for the word of God. Be thirsty for doing life God's way, and he will fill you up. And then finally, I love this. David said, I will praise you seven times a day. Let's just pause there for a moment. So notice all the verses he's chosen from Psalm 119 are application. They're imperative, but no indicatives. Hmm. All law. 
no gospel. Because sometimes I got a hard time with negativity. Sometimes I got to, I judge people. Sometimes I just, you know, I'm just having a bad attitude. So I'm, God, I'm going to praise you seven times a day. Because God, here's what I know. You can't praise and be ungrateful at the same time. You can't praise and be negative at the same time. You can't praise and judge other people at the same time. You can't praise and not follow God all the time. Now look at this. He says, I will praise you seven times a day because of all your regulations. In other words, your map is just, it's, it's right. Your way is right. Now next verse, listen to this. Those who love your instructions have great peace. Let's stop right there for just a minute. Peace in the Hebrew, peace in the Greek. Let's talk about the Greek first. It's a word, arene. Arene means prosperity that produces peace of mind. You know why a lot of people have strife? Because they ain't got no money. I'm just telling you. And they don't have a solution. And their biggest worry in their life is they don't have enough. David said this in Psalms. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience, getting ready to do business with them as they make decisions to dream big and, and believe that today is the day. Three, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Another way of saying it, Lord, you're guiding me. I will not have need of anything. You're going to take care of me. David says, I love your instructions because the prosperity, the treasure that I gain from the word of God brings peace in my life. And watch this. And I do not stumble. Another translation says it this way. I don't get offended so that I get off track because of what other people say. Watch this now. And it gets me off track because I took offense. I'm not going to be off track with what somebody else says. I'm going to stay on track with what you say, God. I'm not going to stumble at what somebody else has done. I'm going to stay on track because of what you've done. I'm not going to be somebody that wanders through life and that lives on the reactive side of life. And therefore, when things happen that are negative, I'm negative. When things happen that are unfair, I feel like a victim. I'm not going to live on that side of life. You know why? Because I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm following your path. God, you say you have a great... Because I, because I, because I. What about he? Uh, Talking about Jesus. For me, that I ain't seen nothing yet. But baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's an old church song. Anyway... There's something you'll never to forget, but baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. God wants you to know that's a word for somebody today. You ain't seen nothing yet. That, that's a word from God, really. Okay. You ain't seen nothing yet. Today's the day. Today's the day. Some of y'all stumble. You've fallen because of what somebody else did, because of what somebody else said. Get up. Yeah, so there you have it. Really thin on God's word in context. Really thin regarding Christ. I mean, we did hear a mention about something about his blood. Really long on, uh, you know, the treasure hunter who found 
you know, the, the treasure. Hmm. A lot of law, very little gospel, very little of God's word, a lot of stuff from outside of the text. I think you see the problem here. There's nothing wrong with sermon illustrations that help us understand what God's word is saying. It's a whole other thing when God's word becomes the illustration to help us understand what we're hearing from outside of the word. Everything is backwards when that happens. And that's not how sound doctrine is taught. And notice the emphasis on I, always I, 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 I. And I'm the problem, and so are you. And Christ is the solution, and yet he is not preached as such. So what did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>